Last week, we had one of the biggest weeks in Lorcana history in terms of competitive play. This week wasn't really the same. There was only actually three publicly reported events, and not even all the decks were actually even revealed from them. So I decided to take this opportunity to do a full breakdown from week one all the way till right now, which is honestly crazy, nearly 11 weeks or almost 12 weeks of data from events across the world, online, and anywhere else that has at least 20 or more players representing in tournaments. In the first month, uh, we did a, a video similar like this where it had 105 decks. Ironically, last week actually had more than that in one weekend. But today, we have 362 decks to take a look at. So let's get into today's video. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's get it gets ugly really, really fast. Let's get into it. So here's just a starting point. This is what we looked like in the first month of Disney Lurkana. As you can see, you know, Ruby Amethyst was staggering over everything. Uh, Amber Steel was hiding out in second place, doing pretty well, kind of keeping up a nice little fight with it. And then we had Sapphire Ruby and Amber Amethyst, and then, of course, the wonderful Amethyst Emerald. Now, those three decks, I don't think that they lasted very long, to be honest. And we're going to see in the data here shortly. But just to give you guys that true look of where we were two months ago to where we are now, I think it's important to have that reference point so we can actually break down this data to its best of its ability. Now, let's look at, yep, let's look at today's, guys. The top eight decks of the Rise of the Floodborne meta coming in at 362 total decks, 180 of those are Ruby Amethyst. Yep, that's insane. <laughs> but that is where we're at. Let's break down the list a little further before we break into the specific ink combinations. The next closest ink combination in terms of top eight decks comes in the form of Amber Steel. Amber Steel has successfully had 55 total top eight decks, uh, which is great. It's a wonderful number, but the craziest thing about that, and I, I mean this, guys, like the craziest thing about that is last weekend alone in our meta report from last week, 56 Ruby Amethyst decks just last week. So even if we took away all of the data from every other week, in the existence of the Rise of the Floodborne metagame, Ruby Amethyst would still be the most successful deck, and that's remarkable. <laughs> Let's get into the rest of the data. So we also now have Sapphire Steel. Now, if you remember looking at that first list here, and I'll go back to it, uh, Sapphire Steel only had one top eight, which is kind of crazy. So we went from one all the way to 25. That is, without a doubt, the biggest come-up of any deck on this list, and it's a true success and testament to how powerful that deck actually is. Amber Ruby, on the other hand, comes in with 21 total top 8s. Now, this is a deck that in the first portion of the metagame also didn't have very successful numbers. As you can see there, it was less than 5. So from 5 to 21, still a pretty good turnaround uh, it's definitely a nice representation of how that can affect the metagame as well. Next on our list is Amethyst Steel. Amethyst Steel here 
coming in with a total of 20 top eights through the course of the Rise of the Flood Morn metagame. Then we have Emerald Steel at 17, Amber Amethyst at 14, Sapphire Rupee falling to 13, Amber Emerald at 9, Amethyst Emerald at 5, and Emerald Ruby at 3. Definitely some pretty big tips and falls for some of the decks that were successful early on in the metagame. Ruby Sapphire Popsicles was number 3. Now it's all the way down to the 4th least. Amber Amethyst, also really successful in the first few weeks, fell really, really far down the list here. Now, there's a lot to be said about these in combinations, and in recent weeks, after a bit of sharing from the meta report and kind of taking feedback, I've heard that this doesn't necessarily represent the true metagame. While I can agree that this is a list of in combinations, I think what's really important to note here is that it's still showcasing the pure strength of any individual ink. Uh, Amethyst decks are, I mean, there's over 200 of them in top eights across 362 total. I think the total number is like 223 or 224 Amethyst decks out of a 362 potential top eight decks. That's pretty incredible and we're going to discuss that a little bit later but let's talk about these decks and how have they been successful and from the first month to now what they look like and the biggest changes within the metagame that we've seen so far so on the left here we have galaxy con and pax unplug top eight decks uh the second place finish deck in each of those events played by dusty at galaxy con and mark uh, in their run, also at PAX Unplugged. Both of those lists are focused around Arthur and things that Arthur can do for you. You can see a spellbook in one list, another list that's not there. You can see Yzma's still. You can see LeFou's hanging out. Uh, all sorts of different variations of that list early on and how dominant it was at both of those events in just a few weeks after the release of Rise of Bloodborne. And on the right here, we have the Rule Zero Win a Case, which is an event that was held this weekend. Over 50 players in this event, and you're seeing an evolution of this deck and some additions and new tech cards being put into place as the metagame has evolved and knowing what cards are necessary for your overall success. The Amethyst Ruby, when there's 180 of them in top eight decks across, you know, the entirety of this span of Rise of the Floodborne metagame, of course it's going to evolve over time. And in all honesty, it's going to form different versions of itself that are going to be successful in different ways. In the early ons, the bounce control lists were focused around Arthur. And as you can see here, as we move forward, bounce control has moved away from Arthur. However, there have been successful decks that were just Arthur aggro decks that have won big events as well, or have been successful in top eights and wins and second place runner-ups everything like that so we have seen a true evolution of this deck in itself defined by the metagame that it was even in we cover so many variations of this deck on this channel obviously 180 of them over the near three month span here just to say that this deck without a shadow of a doubt has been the most dominant in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame, the numbers are all there, the stats are all there, and it's kind of truly remarkable. But let's discuss the recent changes and things that have been occurring over and over again. 
So the biggest additions to this deck, as you had seen three of these in uh, the deck from just this week, you can fly Peter Pan Shadow and Cusco have been found more and more in decks recently for Ruby Amethyst tech in the Ruby Amethyst mirrors. Ironically, you can fly and Peter Pan Shadow are also a wonderful way to combat the upcoming green Fossa decks uh, that we've seen with the evasive strategies. We've also seen other decks trying to focus more on evasive characters. So the addition of You Can Fly and Peter Pan Shadow are wonderful in that. A few weeks ago, we seen the breakout of a fidget being in multiple top eight decks in one of the bigger events to date. And then, of course, Merlin Crab was probably the first big addition to that deck, knowing early on that you needed to find a way to answer Arthur or a way to answer opposing Minnie Mouses in the mirror. The Merlin Crab was probably the first true addition uh, and adaptation to the metagame in a response to GalaxyCon and PAX Unplugged. All five of these cards can be found in the home of Ruby Amethyst decks now, which is kind of crazy to say that that deck has that much versatility to make room for any of these cards in your given local metagame that you're planning to play against. Ruby Amethyst is the absolute rock of the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. Nobody can contest it. It is the best deck in the game, period. I don't care what your matchup is. I keep hearing people say, oh, well, my matchup is good against this. Last week, I watched two great players go into an event with the favored matchup and lose. I don't care. This deck is the best deck in the game. It's the most consistent deck in the game. It is just everywhere. It completely outmatches every other deck in the game three to one, period. guys. It's a problem. We need to stop defending anything and not and just admit that it's a problem. This deck has caused an absolute ruckus of the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. I said it a few weeks ago on a podcast. There was a comment on a YouTube video saying, if you're not playing Ruby Amethyst, you're honestly donating to the pot. And on average, that has been very true. I think some of the best players have stopped playing Ruby Amethyst just to challenge themselves because that's how powerful the deck is and i'm not faulting anybody on the planet for playing it because it's that consistent it's that good and on average it's actually easier to play than any of the rest of these decks on the list that i'm about to discuss therefore without a shadow of a doubt if you ask me what deck should i play in my next event the answer is going to be ruby amethyst and honestly it's not even close if there was an event this weekend that had 99% Ruby Amethyst decks, it wouldn't for one moment shock me because we're being honest, it probably should be. Amber Steel can't come. Amber Steel comes in second on the list with 55 total top eights. Now, this is a deck that has definitely evolved over and over again through the course of the metagame, and it's even created different archetypes within itself, which is great. Dave was able to win Pax Unplugged with Amber Steel Wheel Flute, and what many had thought at the time was actually just a troll of the metagame, and Sleepy's Flute was a total fluke. However, that has not been the case even up to this last weekend. Our friend Zach Bibbins on Twitter was able to win a 38-player event um, at the Mighty Meeple with the Steel Flute deck as well. Now this, you can see the difference in versions of this uh, from week two to week 11. 
and really understand the difference of how the deck has had to evolve and adapt to the core of the metagame so far. But in the end, this is a Sleepy's Flute deck. It's got singers. It has the wonderful song package that you need. And everything else is a bit of a choice as to how you want to filter out the final pieces of this deck, similar to most of the Ruby Amethyst decks. I would argue that these decks, both Ruby Amethyst and Amber Steel, in the Sleepy's Flute versions, are about 40 to 45 cards with 15 cards that are always going to be flexible depending on your local metagame that you're assuming will be there and how you want to tackle that. Do you want to be more aggressive? Do you need more sturdy characters utilizing the resist like Hercules? Or do you need even more singers uh, to truly adapt and be able to play out the most important cards in your deck? Lantern's been another card that has seen fringe play and has been in certain top eights but definitely well less than the Sleepy's Foot versions. More recently, we have seen an aggressive version of, of Amber Steel show up in events featuring Tiana and even Mufasa. This deck is more of a, I'm going to win before turn seven to beat out your B prepareds, and if I can't beat you by turn seven, I'm going to make your B prepareds even more difficult to play. All versions of this strategy have proven itself within the top eight metagame world for Rise of the Floodborne, uh, Sleepy's Flute versions have definitely shown to be the more dominant and more successful. They definitely have more overall wins in tournaments as well. Uh, so I think that if I were suggesting to a player that enjoys the singer play style, that would definitely be the way to go. The Lantern versions uh, or just the more, more newer popular Tiana aggro versions are definitely a way to play the game and pressure opponents into making bad decisions. Time and time again, proven to be a great ink combination in the game and more and more successful as the game has developed. So realistically, any versions of the decks that I've shown are viable and we should give them a shot. The biggest additions for this, uh, for the flute decks, I believe, are Robin Hood and Hercules. Hercules is a key factor in many decks. Yes, it still does trade very poorly into Maui, which is unfortunate, However, against almost every other character in the game, it does a lot for you. And it's phenomenal in the Sapphire Steel matchups as well. Robin Hood is a key factor in the deck. The amount of two damage cards that you have in your deck is so high and incredible. And in a game right now where two willpower is down and most players are change their decks to only feature three willpower cards... Robin Hood gets so much more value than anyone really anticipates. And if they have to take a turn to remove Robin Hood, they likely have left, ironically, a bigger threat on the table for you to utilize further. Him only being two cost means you can't utilize him to sing your powerful three cost songs, which means you put your opponent in a position to remove a Robin Hood rather than one of your three cost or higher characters because of the ability of skirmish tiana definitely is a card that probably very overlooked early on in the metagame her ability of what you give is what you get definitely seems unrealistic in a lot of terms however it's coming up time and time again recently of being quite the useful ability and really hindering the actions in all of the control decks the Prince is another wonderful bodyguard, obviously a complement to Zimba, among other bodyguards that the aggro decks have utilized. 
and really can just be a nuisance to a lot of different decks in the game. Losing to Fox still sucks, but hey, unfortunately, every card can't just be Fox, and that's a very big problem. <laughs> Mufasa is the last addition here. Uh, I believe this card is another card that was very overhyped early, but for the wrong reasons, and then people couldn't figure it out, and then we've seen it more successful more recently, people understanding that you don't need 60 characters in your deck to be successful, so when you start adding all those things up together, then you come to the realization that Mufasa is a really damn good character, and you should probably find a way to play him more often than you already are. Just through a few of the early decks here and combinations, we're going to cover everything here, but if you are enjoying this type of content, please hit that like button for me. I'd love for you to comment below one of two things. The first is, what has been your most successful deck in the Disney Lurkana metagame since Rise of the Floodborne? For me, uh, it'd have to go with Ruby Amethyst. Uh, it put me into a ninth place finish at PAX Unplugged, but it also put Scott into a top eight finish. I've had success in other events with Amethyst Steel and Ruby Sapphire, but I think that without a doubt, I'd have to give all the credit to Ruby Amethyst because in those two events that I was playing in, I took it easy and I played those just to be different. When if I was really gung-ho about winning the events, I would have just played Ruby Amethyst. So <laughs> got to give the credit. The second thing, if you guys can do it, it would be mean a lot to me. If you can wish my sister a happy birthday, it's her birthday today. So let's get some love for my sister, Katie, in the comments. Uh, it would mean a lot. Now let's get into the rest of the decks. From one top eight to 25 top eights over the course of nearly two months, Sapphire Steel is definitely the biggest breakout star in recent memory. Ryan RMB, you can follow him on Twitch. Uh, he streams quite often. He just recently did a breakdown of his version of the deck currently on 20 Lore YouTube channel. Definitely might want to check them out. Uh, they host weekly events and everything like that. So huge shout out to those guys supporting the game. So from his opening week, um, this event was hosted in early December to last weekend's top eight by George Machado. You can see that this deck honestly hasn't made that many big changes to it. The core of it is kind of all the same, and the tech cards are few and far between. So you may find yourself asking the question of, what had to happen for this deck to be a breakout? And for me, I think the first and most important factor is people had to understand that Ruby Sapphire simply wasn't that good of a deck. Utilizing Hiram and Popsicles as just Sapphire cards in other complement inks proved to be what was the stepping stone to evolving the Steel deck. In Chapter 1, Sapphire Steel was fringe playable, but very linear in its playlines, whereas Chapter 2 created versatility with the additions of Beast, Hiram, and Popsicles, giving you the idea that you didn't always have to wheel just to recover, and you didn't have you can play the mind game with your opponent of when or when not you are actually going to wheel. Cogsworth Grandfather Clock is obviously the centerpiece character of this deck. It really does create really big matchup concerns for the Amber Steel matchup. They just simply have a tough time dealing additional damage and getting across to through your certain characters, which gives all of your characters more longevity in those matchups. It also can create problematics for the Ruby Amethyst versions, 
his ward itself is something that they can't just get rid of. So they have to find alternative means into removing the pesky clock. And Nothing to Hide has been a card that early on people were very high on and it has continued to grow within this deck. At one point it was maybe only a one or two of. Now it's seemingly a four of in all of these decks because having the best information of when to a whole new world and when not to a whole new world or even what the proper cards are you for to ink, what the proper cards are for you to let it go or Hades when you should plan to use your grab your swords it just gives you a ton of information that lets you work with and really what is forming the best versions and best play lines for the sapphire steel deck sapphire steel was definitely the breakout star of the last few months plus 24 top eights from december which is great it's a huge uptick in the deck itself and it's showcasing its strength overall and honestly its popularity Early on, it might not have had the limelight or love because maybe in the first couple events, there was only one or two or three of them even being showcased. But after that weekend, a few weekends ago, where it finished second place and up to that time, the biggest event, uh, you know, in online Lorcana play, well, it's been around. It's been had some very successful weeks. Uh, one top eight that week, 10 the following week, five another week. It's just been growing and growing. Uh, since honestly that tournament. So really sometimes it does take one event to showcase how powerful and fun a deck can be in a given metagame. And that's exactly what's happened. So shout out to Sapphire Steel really coming in. I will say that there's definitely really only one successful version of this. There is not like, you know, other alterations or play lines for this right now, unlike Amber Steel and Ruby Sapphire that have like two or three versions of the deck that can be successful. It's very clearly the steel wheel concept and just kind of playing it as good as you can. Amber Ruby Mufasa went from four top eights in December all the way to 21 top eights nearing February. This is another deck that it probably took a breakout from a media outlet. Shout out to Steadfast for putting the limelight on this deck to showcasing what this deck is capable of in a given metagame. What I will say about this deck is that it 100% has a roller coaster like feel. There are weeks where there might be three or four of these in top eights, and then there are weeks where there are zero. So it's very interesting to me why that is. If we've had uh, second place finishes as early as December uh, by our friend Chad Clare at the Cerebrus Den, all the way to last weekend with the Laughing Dragon uh, played by Lauren Mulligan. You can see that this deck has slightly evolved, and there are iterations that play Lantern or don't play Lantern. Uh, we can see Scar in some of these lists. We can see the Queen. But realistically, most of the core of this deck is hilariously really, really expensive legendaries. This, without a doubt, created the biggest change in the marketing gains, if you were lucky enough to have your uh, legendaries early, great. But if you were one of the late bloomers for this list and saying, oh, I'm going to purchase it now, well, you can see that recent versions of this list are $513. It's without a doubt the most expensive deck in Lorcana right now. So it's definitely not a deck that anybody can just pick up and play, which is truly remarkable, which is also the reason why you might not see it every you know, weak in the metagame, but hey, 
Uh, shout out to the gains from Mufasa. I think at this point, it's gone from $8 to $25. It might continue to grow, in all honesty. If people are hesitant and thinking, oh, Mufasa is going to drop back down to 10 I think it's actually more likely that Mufasa will go up to 30 So I, I would probably just get in there and buy yours because you never know when uh, a card's going to give him rise in price. And legendaries are likely the most common ones to go, you know, from dips to peaks and all those things. So I would, I wouldn't be afraid to buy those now. You never know when it's going to happen. If you haven't yet, make sure you buy those cards before you have those crazy spikes. Amethyst Steel is the next up on our list. Back in December, it had four top eights. It now comes in with 20. It nearly mirrored what Amber Ruby was able to succeed in with as well. However, this deck does come in different variations. As you can see early on here, uh, Luis at Coliseum and Comics in the second week of December was able to pick up uh, a second place finish, or I believe it was even a split for the finals uh, with an iteration of the Steel Amethyst deck. Followed by a few weeks later at SEG Con Cincinnati, we see a 2K finish with a aggro bounce list. At the time, it was a budget list. I still think this is really close to a budget. It's likely under the $90 price point right now. And then finally, this past weekend, we had a 1K at the Game Grid, which does look like a more evolved version of Luis's list from December. This has been a deck that has grown over and over again. It's had its highlighted moments and been successful in some very big events. There were multiple of these top eights in Cincinnati. There was great finishes in some of the bigger online tournaments. And it's been a pretty consistent flow of these. In most weeks in the meta report, there's been at least one or if not two of these. Uh, there are some weeks where it does fall off, but that's okay because the deck is kind of just a different variation and way uh, to embody the rise of the Floodborne metagame. What do I mean by that? Well, it's Floodborns. Uh, when, once, once Blue Fairy was added to the list, it really did complement itself with the remarkable Floodborne characters within the in combination. This deck being able to utilize Yzma, Beast, Tinkerbell, and Elsa, among others, might I add, if we want to include the likes of Hercules, uh, and in some other cases, even more. All in all, this deck really does embrace the rise of the Floodborne concept of bringing the best Floodborns to the metagame. Blue Fairy was a card that was likely overlooked early, but of the, quote, Floodborne Matters cards, it might be just as successful, if not more successful, than its counterpart of Bucky. Amethyst Steel and the Rise of the Floodborne metagame is pretty much near and dear to my heart. I really enjoy the deck. I really enjoy the play style. But when people really ask me what I like about it, it's closer to it plays some of my favorite cards, like Tinkerbell, like Grab Your Swords. If you guys don't know, I hate losing to aggro. Like, I I just can't stand losing to aggro. <laughs> but in all honesty, uh, the deck really does embody some of the, my favorite things about Disney Lurkana. The shift mechanic is probably a 1A, 1B with the singer mechanic for me. So that's another really big thing that I love and enjoy about this deck and this deck's potential. But uh, I, I do think that it is playing second fiddle to Ruby Amethyst 
as a whole. I think Ruby Amethyst is more consistent. I think Ruby Amethyst is less clunky. And I think Ruby Amethyst is overall easier to pilot. So while this deck has power, it has strength, it breeds inconsistency as well. There's a lot of top-end hands that you have to like navigate through. And I think it's actually significantly more difficult to pilot which is why we've seen it piloted by some of the best players and most consistent players in Lorcana. All in all, great deck. Finishing the top five of the overall breakdown of the Rise of the Flood War metagame. Gotta give it its flowers, and let's get into the next decks. So let's take a look at the bottom six. Emerald Steel and Amber Amethyst are both created kind of for the same reason. They're both in the vein of being anti-Ruby Amethyst decks, that should be favored in those matchups. The key factor to both of these decks being successful comes from a surprise factor, in my honest opinion. The Emerald Steel is likely the more consistent deck against Ruby Amethyst because of the ward characters within it. Hiding behind Bucky and Prince John for as long as possible to give you the most potential to discard all of the cards in your opponent's hand and keep them off of their board sweepers is the best route to winning. This deck might take 10 turns before it even turns a card sideways to gain lore, but when it does, it'll be turning five or six cards sideways in hopes that you're were able to take away the key factors of removal for your opponent. We've seen many versions of this deck be successful. It is on the lower end and lower enchilon of success. It is the most successful Emerald deck in the Lorcana metagame. Amber Amethyst won an event early, was then picked up and played a bunch in December. However, since then, has completely fallen off the map for the most part. Yes, it has the ability to low to the ground, pressure lore, and really kind of just demand answers from your opponents left and right. But the addition of Steel back into the metagame in so many different forms, Emerald, Sapphire, Amethyst, Amber, all of those decks uh, ironically are above it on this list, and that's probably it, why it is where it is. It just has the absolute worst matchup into Tinkerbell, into Grab Your Swords, into Let the Storm Rage On. Uh, the list goes on and on and on as to why the decline of this deck happened. But, as always, we love to give shout-outs to our friends, so shout-out to Kate once again uh, in her success at GalaxyCon, winning that first event very early on in the metagame and setting a precedent for the deck moving forward. Ruby Sapphire. That's right. The number one overhyped deck in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame went from being third on this list to gaining... Almost no top eights since. A truly huge fall off and decline for this deck as players realize very quickly that its matchup against Ruby Amethyst was damn near unwinnable. The main factor of it was that it was a good deck against the Amber Steel and in some cases the Sapphire Steel matchups. However, as time went on, it just proved that that wasn't worth risking your tournament over. Much like the last two decks that were designed to beat another deck in the metagame, the weaknesses outweigh the strength. And oftentimes when you're playing in events, it's very difficult to play a roguelike strategy 
like that to success. And that will probably be the detriment to this deck, honestly, through the rest of the metagame as well. Will it shock me if more, or a few more, I should say, pop up in top cuts? No, it won't. If you can avoid the most popular matchup and find a way in the top eights, that's great. But would I suggest anyone picking up this particular list and playing it? No, I don't think so. I'd avoid it. I would definitely play uh, several other decks before I picked up Popsicles. Amber Emerald still has a real chance to be more successful in the metagame. I actually think if I were to do another one of these videos in three weeks before the very end of the metagame, I'd be willing to bet that Amber Emerald would move up several steps on this list. Mufasa and Hades are great answers to the metagame as a whole. Definitely the more popular decks within the metagame, being able to combat ways to recover very well. However, with more decks, including cards like You Can Fly and cards like Peter Pan's Shadow, its matchup is definitely going to get worse into Ruby Amethyst if Ruby Amethyst players decide to commit to that way of combating the mirror match, along with just coincidentally being better against this particular matchup. I do think that it's a very straightforward deck to play. It's well more budget-friendly than the Ruby versions, but if I were my bang for my buck, be playing the Amber Ruby version more often than the Emerald version, I just believe that the Ruby versions of Mufasa have way more to offer than this version. However, budget-friendliness is normally a key factor in tournament success more often than not, which is crazy to admit. So there's still a very good chance that over the coming weeks, we're going to see more and more of these in top eights. The final two decks on our list, again, are Emerald Amethyst and Ruby Emerald. There is a very key factor to all of the decks that I had just covered, and that's four of them are Emerald decks. Guys, anyone that's still out there fighting for Emerald, you got to realize that in almost all of these decks, it's the third or fourth best option for ink combinations that have been successful. And it's just the sheer fact that Emerald is really not living up to the par of many other inks currently. But Amethyst Emerald is a straightforward aggro deck. I think it's really easy to pilot. It has 20 of the best cards in the game, which are Fox, Goat, Can Play Rabbit, uh, should play rabbit if you ask me and of course snake as well the version on the screen doesn't have those cards but i'd argue that that's incorrect and if you were going to make this deck better those are definitely the first steps i would take because playing rabbit and playing snake are proven to be one of the more successful play lines in disney lorcana and then the lone and least successful deck in the metagame but still successful than decks that couldn't make top eight at all. Ruby Emerald sits there with three top eight finishes. This is another deck. Ironically, this is mostly an Emerald deck that we're looking at here uh, with a mere 10 Ruby cards and 50 Emeralds. So you could argue that this could have just been Mono Emerald and maybe been as close to successful as it was. However, Mini Mouse Surfer is pretty damn hard to replace if we're being honest. The key factor and determination of the entire Rise of the Floodborne is it's an Amethyst metagame. Straight up, 60% of top eight decks were played with Amethyst in mind, and more than likely, these cards 
of 18 to 20 copies of. That's one-third of every Amethyst deck represented by these five cards in the entirety of the Rise of the Flood more metagame. About six weeks ago, we discussed um, a potential ban list for the game and if it was necessary or not. Well, at 60%, over 362 top decks, and I guarantee you that if I had the ability to have the breakdown of every single deck that has ever been registered in a tournament, the number actually might be higher than 60% of these cards in top eight decks. I understand the game is young. I, I totally get it. I understand people hate change. But as this far into the release, I have not seen a card that's been revealed that's better than Madam in Box. Period. Haven't seen it. And I'll be the first one to put my flag in the ground again. That card is going to be a problem for the foreseeable future. I guarantee it. Thank you guys so much for watching today. It was a bit of a long one on the longer side, but there was a lot of information to get to. 362 decks. Wanted to try and cover at least one of each copy and focus on the more successful decks. I hope you enjoyed the content. If you did, of course, make sure you hit that like button for me. If you haven't yet already, I don't know why. I keep delivering this information to you guys each and every week. Hit the subscribe button. Help us out. Continue to grow. It really does mean the world to me. And last but not least... Hit me up. What has been your most successful deck in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame? I'm excited to see the answers because we all have success in different ways, and I'd love to hear about yours. Thank you guys so much through the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. These videos have been amazing. Next week, I'm going to have a full coverage of SCG Con Hartford. I'll be on the ground. I'll be live. I'm going to be trying my best to get interviews throughout the weekend. So if you're interested in all of that, definitely hit subscribe because I'm going to be trying to put out as much information as possible that we can potentially gain. I think that SCG Con Cincinnati was grossly underrepresented in information. Uh, it took a lot of digging to even find the deck list for it. I'm going to do my very best to try and give everyone as much information about it as possible because a 1K, a 5K, and another 1K are three events that could be very well represented, and I'm very excited to be in attendance for the next two because we also have SCG Con in March in Philadelphia. So go me. I just got to drive a big 40 minutes to Valley Forge because it's not really Philadelphia, but they're calling it Philadelphia, whatever. Who cares? But again, thanks guys so much for watching today, and I will see you in the next one.